Dear God, thank you, Lord, for this day here at camp meeting. And thank you for the experience Tracy had just last night where she was able to meet a, a non-Aventist family that was right here on our campus last evening and offer them Bible studies. And they were very happy to um, accept that. Lord, there are people all around us who would say yes if we just asked. And I ask, Lord, that you would give each one of us the courage to ask someone if they would like to do a Bible study. Today, I ask that you'd bless us time we spend together as we talk about actually how to give that study. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, who did I not get a lesson to? Okay, so as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe that Jesus is coming soon. And God has really blessed our church with an enormous amount of knowledge, right? Just think about, especially if you came from a different denomination into the Adventist churches, how much you have learned and grown and, and discovered since you became an Adventist. We have so much knowledge, especially about those prophetic books of Daniel and Revelation. But with knowledge comes responsibility. And I want you to look at this quotation from Testimonies, Volume 9. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. Let's see, oh, my theme is not answered. They have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. If we don't share this message, what other church is going to? In fact, if you were to visit another church and ask them, what are the three angels' messages? They'd probably look at you with a blank stare, right? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so God has given us an understanding, and when you... Realize that those three angels' messages mentioned in Revelation 14 are mentioned right before the second coming of Jesus, and they're going to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It just shows why she says here that this is um, work is of so great importance that nothing else is to absorb our attention. And that doesn't mean that we don't have jobs, and we don't have families, and we don't have other things in our life, but we can't become so preoccupied with those things that we're not taking opportunities and praying for opportunities to share this message in some way, even if it's just leaving a glow track with them or giving them, um, you know, a, an address to a website, like Amazing Facts, where they could go and read and get more material or whatever. It could just be a one brief encounter, but still taking that opportunity to guide them to understanding this important message. Yesterday, we talked about the birth of Bible study ministry. Um, we talked about how it happened actually at a camp meeting in 1883 in Southern California. And that prior to this, we did not have as a denomination Bible lessons that were written in a question and answer format. Uh, we did a lot of preaching. We had tracts and pamphlets. But this concept of ask a question and go look up a Bible verse to find the answer to the question wasn't developed until this camp meeting. And it kind of happened almost by mistake <laughs> because uh, Elder Haskell was preaching and a thunderstorm came up and nobody could hear him. And he had to come off the platform, gather everybody around him and ask a question and then have someone look up a Bible verse to answer the question. 
And that was how the very first question-answer Bible study developed. And Ellen White saw that this was the method that our church members should be trained in on how to give Bible studies. It says in Gospel Workers, page 192, the plan of holding Bible readings. Now, this is what they used to be called. Today we call them Bible lessons, but in our early years of our church, we called them Bible readings. And we actually had a book we published called Bible Readings for the Home Circle. <laughs> and that's what it was. It was a, a book of Bible studies. And church members would get to that book, they would study those lessons, and they would share those Bible readings in people's homes, asking a question and then together opening the Bible to find the answer. So here she says, the plan of holding Bible readings was a heaven-born idea. There are many, both men and women, who can engage in this branch of missionary labor. Workers may thus be developed who will become mighty men of God. So as we participate in this type of ministry, we will become mighty men and women of God. You grow spiritually a lot when you are studying the Bible with someone else. By this means the word of God has been given to thousands, and the workers are brought into personal contact with people of all nations and tongues. God will not permit this precious work for him to go unrewarded, and he will crown with success every humble effort made in his name. Amen. Now I'm glad it says every humble effort, right? <laughs> because when we're getting started, we may not feel like we know what we're doing. And you may feel a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit like, I hope I'm doing the right thing and hope I know what to say. And, and it may feel like a very humble effort. But what does he promise? He will give it success. He will give success to every humble effort. This is the Bible study reformation that we so desperately need in our church is for thousands to, of workers to be doing this ministry. Evangelism, page 435 and 436. There are families who will never be reached by the truth of God's word unless his servants enter their homes and by earnest ministry sanctified by the endorsement of the Holy Spirit break down the barriers. Now let me just pause there for a moment. We as an Adventist church, um, especially here in Michigan, are pretty good about holding evangelistic meetings. And we just did a statewide unlock revelation. And a lot of our churches do a meeting maybe every year or every other year. But this says that there are families who will not be reached through evangelistic meetings. When you think about, and Tracy and I were talking about this after the class yesterday, if you were to send out brochures to your community, invite them to your evangelistic meeting, and let's say you sent out 5,000 flyers, you might get five people to show up to your meeting, okay? Now, if you were to instead go out, let's say, door-to-door -door or through um, a fair booth or um, going and just visiting people that you already know, and inviting them to do Bible studies, your percentage would not be one out of a thousand. It could be more like one out of every 15 or 20, okay? If I were to go down a street and take a card like this and say, have you heard about a free Bible study school and it has free Bible lessons, and tell them about the lessons, and bring a sample copy with me, and show it to them, and say, would you be interested in these free Bible study guides? 
that you're going to get answers straight from the Bible. And on one street, you could probably get at least five people to say yes. But if you mailed flyers to that neighborhood, or maybe ten neighborhoods, not one of them would come to your meetings. So, this statement is very true. There are families who will never be reached unless we go to their doors, until we go to them. They're not necessarily going to come to it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do public evangelistic meetings, <laughs> because there are people who do come, right? <laughs> but for the amount of money that we spend mailing out brochures and holding public events like that and renting a hall and all of that, we could spend no money just buying some Bible lessons and go out and get a lot of Bible studies started and you would have more results and reap more people and have more baptisms than all that money you spent in a big meeting. Okay? So, yes? But still the, uh, the cold... Uh approach of door-to-door of people that you don't necessarily know, it still has a fairly low percentage, from my experience, of, of positive response. Um, even even if some people would take the material and be very courteous, mm-hmm. you know, it probably goes in the circular file afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I, I, think, I think it is very important to have some kind of a a personal connection to that person, the family, co-worker, relative, mm-hmm. because that that breaks down the the very first barrier, which is like, who are these people? What kind of weird thing is this? Yeah. Because people today get so many things in the mail and so many people coming to sell them stuff at the door that is it's tough to know what what they should listen. To. Right. So your, your best option would be, like you said, somebody you already know or knows you, um, already trusts you. That would be your, your first choice. Your second choice would be to invite somebody you don't know. They don't really know you, but it's still a personal invitation. Third option would be something that comes to them in the mail and there's no face behind it at all. Okay. So start first with the people that you know. When you've exhausted that list... <laughs> And everybody has said, no, I'm not ready for that. I'm not interested in that right now. Then go to those who you haven't yet met and then do some mailings in there and do some evangelistic means in there too. So the key is to um, use many methods because somebody will respond. But let's not just try just one method. Let's not just stick with just public meetings because there are some that won't come any other way. Okay, let's read the rest of this quotation. She's saying that as we do personal ministry, it breaks down barriers, we could say prejudices. Um, I had people that when I did Bible studies um, and was following up on lead cards, I mentioned yesterday that sometimes you can do a mailing, you get those cards back in the mail. Um, Project Steps to Christ occasionally sends out, um, have you ever gone at your house, these like little packets that have like ads in them for... Um, roof cleaning and carpet cleaning and all those. Well, um, Project Steps to Christ sometimes slips into there. They pay to have an insert put in there offering some of their free books, like um, On the Edge of Time, which is a portion of Great Controversy or Pathways of Peace or something like that, which is part of Steps to Christ. Um, And anyways, when those people mail that card in, they follow up and send them the material that they had requested, but then they send the card to the nearest Adventist church to follow up from there. So occasionally I get some of those cards um, in the mail. And so 
I have followed up on some of these and then offered them um, Bible lessons, started Bible studies with them, never ever told them I was an Adventist. They never asked. I never brought it up. <laughs> we just start studying and they start to realize that we, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I love His Word. It's right in there in the Bible. They're enjoying it. And it's not until... I'll tell you one funny story. I almost put a picture of her in my presentation because I'm going to tell about a couple other people today. But um, this lady I met through a coal porter who sold her some books. And she bought like 10, 15 books. And when I went to start studying with her, reading her the Bible lessons, and we started meeting, we got all the way up through the Sabbath presentation and, you know, really make an appeal for her to start keeping the Sabbath. And I actually had two church members going with me, which is maybe a little bit more than I would normally bring. Normally I just would bring one. But um, one of them was the um, Cole Porter who had sold her the books. And the other one was another friend of mine who wanted to learn how to give a Bible study. So we had, there was three of us. So there's four of us together there. And it was so cool. <laughs> After we're covering the Sabbath, she turns to us and she's like, ladies, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go worship? I don't know of any Sabbath-keeping church in this town. And we said, well, Ashley, we go to a Sabbath-keeping church. And her eyes lit up. She's like, you do? Where? <laughs> I guess what? She started keeping Sabbath with us. But she did not know until that moment that we were Seventh-day Adventists. It had never come up. We had never brought it up. But at that point, she was ready, and we were able to introduce, we attend a Sabbath-keeping church. And uh, she came, started attending church with us. So my point is that there have been some that had told me, if I had known right away you were Seventh-day Adventist, I probably wouldn't have studied with you. But by the time we got to it, their, their prejudice had already been broken down. They'd already seen that it was from the Scriptures. As the people see that these workers are messengers of mercy and ministers of grace, they're ready to listen to the words spoken by them. So that's a really beautiful um, quotation. Just going to mention a couple of the blessings that you will gain by giving Bible studies. The first one I thought of was just seeing the Word of God work in a person's life. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We are born again through the word. And you can give lots of friendship to a person. You can show a lot of compassion and sympathy. You can minister to a lot of their needs. But only one thing will convert their heart. And it's the Word of God. And as you share the Word of God, you see that person's life transformed. Every year when I come to camp meeting, I see a, a, a gentleman here who um, was baptized as a result of some Bible studies I gave in the Muskegon area when I was a Bible worker there. And he has, uh, he drank and he, uh, he had, you know, he wasn't living the right lifestyle. Um, but he wanted to come back to the Lord. And... So we started studying together. He was baptized. Now he's here every year at camp meeting. He volunteers. He helps in different areas. And every time I see him, I smile because the Word of God converted and changed him. And now 
Every time I look at him and I see him, I'm reminded that I had some little part in helping the Word change him. So this is one of the blessings we gain is seeing how the Word changes us. This quote from Education, page 126, The creative energy that called the world into existence is in the Word of God. This Word imparts power, and it begets life. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God. There's a young lady coming to um, our church right now. She came to unlock Revelation, and she was always so very quiet, so very shy. Always would just come by herself. I'll never hardly ever say anything. And most of the time, she looked a little bit sad. I would try to sit next to her as often as I could, and every night, you know, say, hi, how was work today, and just try to make a friend. Um, but it wasn't until our meetings were pretty much ending, and she started coming to our follow-up Daniel classes, and we started, like, interacting with her more, that I started to see her demeanor change. She started smiling a lot. Like, before, she would almost never see her smile. Now she's, like, always got a big smile on her face. Now she, like, starts talking with you and sharing things about her life. Um, she opened up. She experienced a lot of sexual abuse as a young girl. And she's dealing with a, still a lot of pain and hurt from that experience and asked if we could help her because she's been through many therapists and nobody's been able to, um, she's not felt like she's gotten the help she wanted. But I am seeing how God's word is transforming this young lady right in front of our face. And it's beautiful to see. And when you get that experience, it's, there's nothing like it. The second blessing I gain from giving Bible studies is just seeing how your heart is knit with theirs and their heart is knit to yours. There is a bond that is created that doesn't compare to anything else. Like some of my very best friends are those that I gave Bible studies to and are now Seventh-day Adventists. We, there's just this closeness. And, and I honestly can't even describe how they feel about me. Like, they feel a love for me that I cannot even put in words. Um, the way they talk about how appreciative they are and, and that closeness that they feel. So let's look at these two passages from the life of Paul about the connection he felt to those that he had worked with. Galatians chapter 4. <coughs> And verse 19, Galatians 4:19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Paul describes his relationship to the churches as that of a parent and a child. And I'm not a parent yet, but from every parent I know, there is a bond they feel to their children that is not like any other bond. And you've had that same kind of experience when you do a Bible study with someone. That person becomes like a child to you, like, like a family member to you. And you feel this burden for them, and you, you're wrestling with God for them. And, and you, you, when you see them kind of straight, I had one lady that I studied with, um, and she was baptized. And then um, the devil had a trap right in front of her. Brought some man into her life who wasn't an Adventist, wasn't a believer. And shoom, she was like caught up with this guy. 
not returning my phone calls, avoiding, you know, all these things. And it broke my heart. I would cry. I would just like, because I could see that Satan was taking her away. And I just kept reaching out to her as much as I could and just praying, praying, praying. And uh, the Lord delivered her. He brought her back from the land of the enemy. And I was one of the first people she came back to saying, I, I've lost my way, but I want to get my feet back on the right path. And I was rejoicing with the Lord <laughs> that day when we were sitting in her living room. So you feel this um, very deep bond. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted to you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. Isn't that beautiful? That's the kind of feeling you will gain in your heart for those that you labor for. While it may not feel like a sacrifice to study with someone week after week, the one with whom we're studying takes note of this tremendous amount of personal time that's being invested in his or her salvation and spiritual growth. The time spent communicates love in a way few other actions could. And I think that's part of the reason why a person who's done Bible studies feels a connection to that one who invested that time with them. And sometimes that's the best friend in their life because their family doesn't care for them that way and they don't have any other friends that they trust that way. But you are like not just like a true friend to them, but you're like their spiritual lifeline. You're like you're the one who connected them to God. And, and they feel this love for you and this connection to you that... Um, it's just amazing. I'm going to show you two pictures. This um, family actually now has five boys. <laughs> so this was a few years ago. Um, and they're here at camp meeting this week with all their little guys. Um, they were Methodist. And actually, um, the way I met them was Sarah was in a birthing class with another lady who was an Adventist who was also um, giving, ready to give birth. And that's how they met. And they started just kind of becoming friends. And then she started a Bible study with them, but only like got to meet once or twice before they had moved. So then um, I visited them and started studying with him. Um, Paul is a accountant, works for the state of Michigan. And this couple, I think I studied with for about a year. And actually, there was a point in our Bible studies where I didn't feel like we were making any progress, especially regarding the Sabbath. And I was kind of feeling a little frustrated. Lord, what, what can I do here? Um, and then Sarah was having uh, another pregnancy, and she was going through a lot of complications. And we basically had to stop Bible studies for like four or five months um, through the rest of her pregnancy. And I was like, Lord, what are we losing all the momentum we were building, <laughs> you know? And sometimes you'd feel like that, like, okay, God, what are you doing here? But what I didn't realize was that through this time of crisis they were experiencing in their family, um, Paul started studying his Bible more on his own. He started praying more and just reaching out to God more. And he was the one who really needed to have that experience because them making a decision going forward would require both of them, you know? Couples have to make those decisions together for them really to happen. And 
um, when we started Bible studies again, this time they were more ready. And we, we had some wrestling, some st stuff. Maybe tomorrow I'll, I'll share a story about um, one of the challenges they faced with starting to actually observe the Sabbath. But um, in the end, they were baptized. Um, Paul is now an elder at the Lansing Church. And Sarah works with the Adventures, and they're very, very active there. Uh, this is Marzell. I met Marzell actually through um, another lay Cole porter in our church who um, was knocking on her apartment door and offered her um, some books. I don't think she bought any books because she couldn't afford it, but she said she would like to do Bible studies. Um, so I started visiting her, and I saw this lady, just her life transform. And it was, it was so amazing. She was like one of the funnest Bible studies I've ever given because she would get so excited about every Bible study. And she'd fill in her answers, and, and she was just like sharing what she was learning with everybody around her, and, and it was just really cool. Now, her struggle was smoking. She was a heavy smoker, and we worked with her, um, and I did a, a Bible study with her on how to stop smoking and helped her to make that surrender to the Lord, and it was very beautiful. And this was the day she was baptized. Um, she was, was very, very happy. And she lives in Chicago now, but every time I call her, she just is like, oh, I love you so much. And, and even though she isn't really close to an Adventist church, she watches like um, Adventist television every Sabbath um, from home when she can't make it to church, which I think is still beautiful. I could tell you lots of stories, but I don't have time. <laughs> spiritual growth. Um, you not only will grow spiritually, but you're, those you're studying with will grow spiritually. You both are growing. And But let's just look at a quotation about the spiritual growth of the one giving the study. Testimonies, Volume 9, page 127. Among the members of our churches, there should be more house-to-house -house labor in giving Bible readings and distributing literature. A Christian character can be symmetrically and completely formed only when the human agent regards it as a privilege to work disinterestedly in the proclamation of the truth. So for you to develop a symmetrical and completely formed Christian character, it only happens as we are proclaiming the truth. So that shows how important this is. And then this is one I've um, read for many years. Christian Service, page 69. Let ministers teach church members in order to grow in spirituality. They must carry the burden the Lord has laid on them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. And um, one more, Christ Object Lessons, page 354. He who begins with a little knowledge. I like this one because when you're just starting giving a Bible study, you may not feel like you know very much. A little knowledge in a humble way telling what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge will find the whole heavenly treasure waiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. The more he uses our, his, our knowledge and exercise our powers, the more knowledge and power we shall have. So as you share the little you know, the more knowledge God will give you. So if you want to increase your understanding of the Bible, Start sharing it with somebody else. Your knowledge of it um, will grow so much. Now, when we talk about Bible studies, this is probably the method we think of most readily, and it's the one we're going to mostly focus on today. 
But there are um, probably four main kinds of Bible studies. There are group Bible studies where you have a small group, maybe in your home or maybe at the church, and you all are studying, um, and there's one basic study leader who's leading out. Um, that is one of the options is actually here on the Bible study offer, and they're the landmarks groups, which are going to be going through the landmarks lessons and DVDs. So that would be a group study. Um, group studies can be really fun. Um, there are challenges with group studies. The biggest challenges I have found is that you don't always have the, a consistent group. So they come and they miss, and they come and they miss, and so they don't get the whole thing. Um, so it's kind of hard to catch them up on the parts they've missed. The other thing, it's harder to ask for decisions and to work with them one-on-one -on -one and gain those decisions in a group study. So there are some disadvantages about a group study. One-on-one um, -on -one study is um, the, the method I like the best, where you're just meeting with them personally. And it may be actually with two or three people. It might be a, a little tiny group, but it's usually an in-home study. Personal study, or sometimes called drop-off study, is where they're doing the lessons on their own. You're just giving them them. They fill them out. They go through them. Um, this is a method that a lot of people like because it's um, less intimidating for them. But there's another challenge with this one, and it is, do they actually get the lessons done? Do they actually fill them out? What are they thinking about them? You know, what questions are they having? What decisions? You know, all that is a little harder to do in a personal study. Um, so that's why um, even though personal study is an option we are going to be um, giving people, we're going to be trying to develop a way to still ask them some questions and still have some ways to dialogue about them with the, about the lessons they're doing so that we get more benefit from it. And then, of course, correspondence Bible studies like Amazing Facts and Discover, and um, that's probably the least personal type of Bible study. Though I have given some of those in the past as well. Correspondence ones are just mailed. Yeah. And they probably, well, they're still, I mean, Bible schools are still using those. Um, the amount of people who start them and actually complete them is a very small fraction of it. So it's not an ideal way to do it. Now just a note about Bible lessons. There are lots of kinds of lessons out there. If you went over to the Adventist Book Center, you could see many different types of Bible lessons. Um, how do you know which lesson you should use? Well, it kind of depends on what the person's knowledge level is and maybe what their interest level is. Some people really want to study prophecy. Some people are looking for something that's a little bit more um, just informative about the Bible in general. And some people are looking for something that's just more on spiritual growth and that sort of thing. Um, so kind of have to find out what their interest is. If you don't know, just start with one lesson, and if they don't like it, switch to something else, you know? So it's kind of like kids. You don't give them too many options about what they want to eat. You just give them something, right? <laughs> if they don't really like it, then you come up with something different. But you don't give them 20 options because um, that makes it too much work for you. Most lessons fall into two categories, topical lessons or thematic lessons. And a topical lesson is more 
a, it covers um, different topics and not necessarily in a, a theme, but each lesson can kind of stand on its own. So you might have one lesson on Daniel 2, another lesson on the Sabbath, another lesson on the law. Um, and most of the, these lessons all here, I would put in the topical category. The other one, and actually this is a typo, this should say thematic here. So anyways, that's a typo. Thematic is the second set of lessons, and the ones that I would classify in that category are lessons like the Prophecy Seminar lessons, which go through the book of Daniel pretty much chapter by chapter, and they're kind of covering the theme of Daniel, okay? And then like a Revelation Seminar lessons would do that. The um, Prophecies of Hope lessons, which I showed you yesterday, also, I would put more in a thematic because each lesson is like tied into the next to try to give this picture of the great controversy and prophecy. So there are some advantages and disadvantages of each. I've used some of both, um, truthfully. One thing I do like about the thematic lessons is that it, um, it tends to give them the big picture. And that's why they're really good for like a follow-up for an evangelistic series. Um, if you've just recently done a meeting. Okay, so now we're getting into the material that's actually in the handout that I've passed out to you, and that's the preparation for giving a Bible study. The first preparation is really begins with ourselves, our own heart, and, and that personal prayer time and devotional time with God. And I'm not going to take the time to look up these scriptures. You might want to jot them down because I don't know that I put them in your handout. But... So that personal preparation with God is the most important thing. We have to first be surrendered to the Lord and connected to him before we go and start to share. And expecting God is going to work when we do go. Now, when it comes to actually preparing for your Bible study, you're going to first pick the lesson that you're going to do. So let's just talk about, I'll pick a lesson here. Let's say... Um, I'm going to be using, I decide I'm going to use these It Is Written lessons. I've been using these, um, I've got like four or five people going through these lessons right now. And they're good. I really like them. There's some really nice things about them. You've may have seen these through your meetings. Um, but before I would, if I was going to go through this, study this lesson with someone, the first thing I would do is actually study out the lesson myself. So I'd get a copy of the lessons. And I'd fill in all the answers, and any of the comments that I thought were really good, I would underline them. Um, I would look up anything that I don't understand or any words. Um, I try to make sure I understand what the lesson is saying. Okay, that's where you would begin. And then as you're going through it, ask yourself some questions. What are some of the main points in this study? Okay, so in Daniel 2, what would be some of the main things you think that you would want to bring out if you were studying Daniel 2 with someone? Yes, that is a very good point. You definitely want to make sure you're going to bring out. Okay, what might be another one? Just basic history, uh, world history. I, I found that trying to find like a textbook and stuff, it's kind of interesting because my neighbor who I've done this, like she has no idea of what kingdom came after what kingdom. Uh-huh. Like, so the Bible is, is um, a historical mm -hmm. book as well and God knowing that history in advance. 
What might be something else about the experience of Daniel that you might um, bring out? Yes. God reveals the future. So we want to know about the future. God has revealed that already in his word. Okay? Um, and let me be another point we want to make sure we bring out is that in the conclusion of the dream, when the rock hits the image and the setting up of God's eternal kingdom, that we're living very close to that period of time, right? Because we're at the bottom of the image, and that is the next event happening in this dream, is the coming of Christ and the setting up of his kingdom. Okay, so these are some of the main points. So let's say I was going to, um, the person was just going to do this as a personal study, okay? I'm just dropping it off. When I go and I bring them the next lesson, those are the points that I would want to discuss with them based on what they had studied, okay? Now, if I'm actually going through the Bible study with them, those are also the points I'm going to emphasize. Every lesson has maybe four or five key points that you want to bring out. Let's say, yeah. I was going to say, how do you do that when you're going door to door? Because for us, it's, it's still kind of like, okay, here's your next lesson, and they're just like, okay, thanks, and... Uh -huh. You don't even get a chance to say something. Yeah, sure and that's part of the reason we are trying to, and I think um, I heard Jim mention this last night, we're creating, I can't remember what he called it, it's like a Bible study response sheet okay. that will be given them with the lesson, and it will have like four multiple that's choice cool. questions and like two open-ended questions. Okay. So you have something that they are filling out for you, that is making them think about what they, they, yeah, you know, if they did the lesson and you know what answers they gave will tell you whether they got some of the main points, because those questions would be based on those main points. And then the open-ended questions were like, what was one thing you learned that was new about this last study and do you have any questions or something like that? So, yeah, we're, because it has been a little bit challenged yeah, to, to do. And do you know when that's going to be available? Um... Hopefully this summer. I mean, we're work is all in the process right now. Yeah. So, um, main points. Another thing, what possible questions could come up based on this study? That's kind of thinking ahead of time. What might they ask? If, if I was hearing this for the first time, what question might I have? Um, and how would I maybe answer that question? And then what appeal would I want to make at the end of this study? If you were doing a Daniel 2 study, what appeal would you use? Now, of course, the lesson might actually have an appeal in it, and this one does. But I want to know what you would say first before I tell you what the, the appeal is that it gives. What appeal would you make? Yes. We want to trust the God that knows all what's happening. Yeah. Today in history. Yeah. Trust in trusting in God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a great appeal. You could do a, an appeal of you know. God's kingdom is coming. Do you want to be part of that kingdom? Okay, that could be another pill. Both would be equally good, and you could use either one of them. Now, let's see which one they use. The Bible demonstrates God can be trusted. Are you willing to tell God you trust him and that you would like to know more about him and his plan for your life? Some lessons have good appeals. Others have some really not-so-great ones. That one was really good. So, um, decide what appeal you're going to make because that's going to be a very important point. Okay.
research anything you're not comfortable with. I like to think about any other things I might want to mention or do to make this study more interesting. So if I'm doing Daniel 2, nice thing about this lesson is it's got some nice illustrations already in it. But if I was using a lesson that didn't, um, I would maybe want to bring a little diagram or a little chart um, that might be helpful. Um, I might think of a personal story or experience that where I had to trust God during a difficult time like, like Daniel did, and I might want to share that little story. So um, sometimes you might think of another little thing that you could bring that would make this story just a little bit more interesting. With the videos, um, yeah. do those have uh, questions for follow-up? Are you talking about the landmarks ones? I don't know. It's just whatever the DVDs are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the landmarks, um, they have, well, the way the landmarks ones is as they're watching the DVD, they're filling in the answers as you go along. Yeah. And I think they have them like up on the screen, and that's how Doug usually does it. Mm hmm. Oh, a card with them? Yeah, I would think so. I'm pretty sure that would be the case. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to, oh, last thing, confirm your appointment. Um, when you've set up a time that you're going to get together, especially when you first begin because they can have a tendency to forget and it saves you a trip. <laughs> and then invite someone to go with you. Why do you invite someone to go with you? <laughs> It's discipleship, right. Um, take someone with you maybe who's new at giving a Bible study or like to learn, maybe a new church member. That would be really great for them. They're going to be reviewing what they maybe recently learned as they were becoming an Adventist. Um, it can be helpful if you something happens and you can't go to the study that week. That person could fill in for you. Um, and... I have also found that when I'm, these people start coming to church, it really is helpful if other church members know them already, so I don't have to sit with five people <laughs> or spend time with five people who are all coming to church that day. So having someone there that's already connected with them is really helpful. And it builds a better relationship um, with them, with your church, if they've met um, several of you. So take a partner. It's a, it's a biblical method as well. When I come to the Bible study... Um, I'm going to do all of my visiting at the beginning. So if I was to, I'm just going to illustrate this. Uh, Sarah, come here. I'm going to come to Sarah's house. She's going to invite me in. Hi, Hello. Sarah. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. Great. It's glad good to be morning. here. Thank you. And you're going to direct me as to where you um, want us to sit. Here. We have a very low special chair for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so I kind of wait to figure out if I'm supposed to take my shoes off, if I'm supposed to sit somewhere special, you know, kind of. And if she doesn't seem like she knows, do you want to sit here at the table or here in the living room? You know, I might ask, and then we'll sit wherever we're comfortable. Now, if I am... Thank you. <laughs> um, if I have a friend with me, and I'm the one who's going to actually be presenting, I want to be sitting closer to the person and the, my friend sitting on the other side of me, not in between us, okay? That way it's um, you're actually 
closer to them and can kind of direct the study a little bit better. So at the beginning of your study, you're, this is when you are talking. How was your week? How are the girls doing? How are they enjoying summer break? Are they glad to be out of school? <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. And you do all the socializing at the beginning. Why? Why at the beginning, not at the end? You're making friends. Uh-huh. Exactly. Right. When you leave, when the study is over, you want to leave um, while that conviction is still on their mind about that decision that you called them to make. Okay? Especially when it's big decisions. So... Um, I do all my visiting at the beginning. Take my prayer requests. Have anything we want you want to pray about today? Some people like to visit a lot. Other people are ready to get right into the Bible study. I have both. Okay. Um, some our pre stuff is only five minutes, and we're we're starting. And then others want to visit, and I have to then say, "Well, are you ready to start studying? <laughs> you know, to wrap this thing up, get this thing going." <laughs> so it, everybody is different. Okay. Now, there are three ways you could actually do the Bible study, okay? The first way is you go through the lesson together. You give them a blank lesson. You have your filled out lesson with you, okay? And you read either the introduction or you just summarize it, and then you just go to the first question, and you read the question, and you go in and you look up the text, and you help them to get the answers written down, okay? And you do that through the whole thing. And if you don't, they don't have a Bible, um, sh take one with you. If you don't have an extra one with you right then, just have them look on with you and your Bible and then make sure they get a Bible. Usually your church would have some extra Bibles. You could um, be, take one to them. So that's the first method. This method is very simple. Okay, my battery just died, so we're going to close that and we're going to go without it for the rest. Um, this method is very simple, but for some people it might seem a little bit elementary, okay? So um, if a person is a deep Bible, they've studied their Bible a lot, they're very educated, um, they might find this a little bit boring, um, and they would probably prefer the third method, which I'm going to get to in a moment. Um, one of the things I do like about this first method for some people who are much more... Um, what I say, easily distracted or like to get off topic a lot, it's really nice when you say, that's interesting. Well, let's look at question number two, you know, and you can just kind of like keep them getting back, and that can be very helpful to keep the thing going, okay? The second method is better for people who don't have a lot of time. They can fill out the lesson ahead of time, and your time together is basically just reviewing the main points. In doing this, you could actually be giving them two lessons at a time. Um, the lady that I studied with just recently and was just baptized at the end of Unlock Revelation, she was going through the Landmarks lessons, and I was giving her two lessons at a time, and she would fill them out on her own, and then I would go through and pick out some of the verses and some of the key points, and we would review those. And that way we could get through two lessons each week, and it only took us 13 weeks to finish the course rather than 26. <laughs> because she already had some background knowledge. She'd been watching Doug Bachelor for a while, and she'd done some of their correspondence course. So I didn't want to drag this thing out over six months. Okay, So that worked well for her. We just picked out the main points. So 
you go through the lesson and you ask yourself, okay, what is a key question here that I want to make sure that we look up? And this Daniel 2 one is maybe a little hard to do that because it's just all in one chapter. But let me pick one here. Okay, this is lesson Return of the King. It's on the second coming. So as I'm looking through this lesson, um, if they've already filled out the lesson, I just ask the question. They're telling me the answer. Who is this king that is going to soon emerge from the temple in heaven? And I'm reading the verse right from here, and they're giving me the answer they filled in. Now, I'm not going and actually looking up every verse in the Bible because we're saving time. But there are certain verses I think are really important, and those ones I'm going to say, let's go look this one up. Okay, so we actually are going to go and look that one up. Like 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, I think is a really key verse on talking about the second coming because it introduces the resurrection, it's loud, it's with a shout, we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There's like five different important things from that one passage that are important to emphasize. So I would go look that scripture up and, and look at those key points that that passage is bringing out. Okay, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then we'd go through. So when I'm done, I maybe have looked up in our Bibles five or six, maybe seven actual verses. Okay, And then as I'm going along, I'm asking, they're, they're telling me their answers, and I'm making sure they're understanding that. So by the time I get to the end, I'm just really focusing on the appeal and making sure they've, um, they're clear on everything. Okay, so that's method number two. Method number three is more using notes. And this has actually been one of the methods I've enjoyed the most, but it takes a little bit more work. And that is I kind of write my own little Bible studies. Um, or another option you have is, if it, how many of you guys have this book, Winsome Witnessing by Gary Gibbs? Okay, this is a really great resource to have in your bookshelf for no, for, no other reason than it's got a lot of great information on witnessing and but in the back there is a little cd called winsome winsome studies and prophecy 29 dynamic bible studies you can give and these are in word document and you can print them out and they actually match his set of bible lessons prophecies of hope and they are just instructor's notes okay so basically how it works is you just take your bible and you have your notes with you and you say, okay, well, let's begin. Our first verse we're going to go to is, and we look up our first verse, and I'm explaining a couple things about it, talking about it, and I have my notes there as to what I want to say about that verse. And then we go to the next verse. And I'm not actually using a lesson at all during the Bible study. That's like somewhere else. It's just my Bible and my notes. Now, what I like about this method, it takes a little bit more work um, to prepare but the nice thing about it is that it gives me a lot of flexibility. I can cut out a verse or add a verse. I can take a little detour if I need to, <laughs> you know, that the lesson would, would not allow me to do. It, it looks more authentic because we're just studying right out of the Bible. Not that this isn't, but um, it's even more so. Um, winsome witnessing. Well, in this case, what you're doing is you're studying the topic out, and then you leave them a lesson that reviews what you just studied. So they're getting it a second time as they fill it out. 
Okay, so you're just studying the let the study with them, looking up the verses, discussing it, going through, making your decision, and then you say, now this is the lesson I'm going to leave with you, and this is reviews what we study today, and you can fill this out this week. This is kind of like your homework, <laughs> and it gives them something to study during the week, so that when you return, you can they've gone through it a second time. And it works well when you have a large group of people. It's easier because you don't have to have a lesson for everybody, and you're not running out of lessons and that sort of thing. Who wrote the book? Gary Gibbs. Gary Gibbs. Um, w when he wrote this, he was working for Amazing Facts. He was the director of their school of evangelism. Then he went to Hope Channel, and I believe now he works in the Chesapeake Conference. Yes. Yes. They're called Prophecies of Hope. Um, no, they've been out for um, five or six years, maybe at least. Yeah, these are really good. Um, I they're a little bit similar to um, the prophecy seminar lessons. Um, they actually were a little bit adapted from these. It kind of has that still that little bit of thematic feel. Um, but I really enjoy these lessons, and I would encourage you to at least go through them on your own, just for the information from them. Yes? Yeah, when we first came into the church, um, my kids were like, uh, they were in their teens. Um, they were 13 and 15, and we were homeschooling, and so those, were really, really good mm -hmm. for us to do uh, one in the morning when we would get up, and that's, mm -hmm. that's the study that we use. So it's good for a lot of range of ages, mm -hmm. not just for adults. It's very well done. Yeah. One of the things I like about his set of lessons is how he introduces the Sabbath. He introduces the Sabbath in the context of how Satan, the little horn, is attacking the law of God. And so the Sabbath is in this context more of the great controversy, not as just an isolated Bible lesson. So when you, you're struggling with the Sabbath, you've, um, you've already had this framework that's been put for you. In fact, his Law of God study deals with all the arguments that people throw out about the law. You know, we're under grace and all this. He really hits all that really well in the law study. So... It's a good set of lessons. I've used them for many years and really enjoy them. And the study notes with them are really great because you can do this third method um, of Bible study. And that's also kind of the method you would use if you were uh, Bible marking. I I've actually um, have a little index in my Bible of all my Bible studies, and I chain reference them through my Bible. I also like to color code. So all my Bible studies are um, in certain colors. So if you can see how different things are in different colors, and that tells me what, like if it's blue, I know it's related to the law. If it's light blue, it's the Sabbath. Um, if it's yellow, it's the second coming. I'm just trying to open to Matthew 24 here. Um, so yeah, I highlight things, and this is a wide margin, so I can put things in the margins as well. But with that, if you can chain reference a set of Bible studies in your Bible, you don't ever have to have a lesson with you. All you have to do is have your Bible, and you could give a Bible study on any topic. So I would encourage you to, to take a set of Bible lessons and chain reference them in your Bible. Um, even if you took 
just um, a little book like Studying Together by Mark Finley. That's what um, chain reference my yeah, a, in fact, the, at one time had little stickers that related to each of these lessons. But for each lesson, each topic, it'll give you like 10 to 15 verses on that subject, and you can chain reference them. And it gives you some of the difficult questions on that. This is a really good resource. Um, the back part of this little book talks about all the different denominations and some of the things we as Adventists have in common with them and suggestions on how to approach them and reach them. So this is a really great little resource, Studying Together, um, a Bible reference handbook by Mark Finley. Excellent little guide there. Okay, so we've quickly just gone through the three methods of Bible study. Now let's talk about... Kind of the flow um, and engaging your your interests. So, as I'm doing uh, a Bible study, a couple little tips. A lot of people don't know how to find things in their Bible. They're not used to reading their Bible. Okay. So when I if I said let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. Okay. I'm going to be looking to see if they know where they're going. Okay. And if they're like looking back here at the back, and I know they're way away from Isaiah 61. I'm going to give them a little pointers, like, okay, if you open your Bible kind of in the middle, um, you're going to be getting pretty close to Isaiah. And I'll look and see where you're at. You're in Jeremiah. Okay, it's the book right before Jeremiah. You know, Give them little tips like that. Help them navigate and learn where things are in their Bible. If I know I'm going to be coming back to Daniel 9 five times in this Bible study, I'm going to say, you, know, you might want to put a little marker there because we're going to be coming back to this chapter several times. Um, and it'll make it easier for you to get back here. So help them to have success <laughs> as they are going. Now, I may not know if they are comfortable reading or not, so I may ask them, um, are you comfortable reading? And if they say no, that's fine. I'll do the reading. If they say yes, I'll have them read. And if they're stumbling over a word, pronounce it for them. You know, because there's some words in the Bible that are hard to say, right? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, how do you say that? You know? So help them with the words that are um, a little bit challenging. Um, as you are reading a verse, another little tip that I do is um, I will ask them a question about what we just read. So what do you think that is, means right there? A lot of people read, but they don't comprehend what they read. Okay? So asking them a question where they can find the answer very easily from the text um, is important. Let me try to give you a quick example. I'm just going to grab a verse here, Revelation 1.7. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth will wail because of him, even so. Amen. So, how many people are going to see Jesus when he comes, according to this verse? Every eye. That's right. So, you're helping them to find the answer in their own Bible. Now, you're doing a lesson. It's probably the question it just asked. How many people are going to see? You know? But if you were just reading um, using notes and you're just looking up the verse, you're the one asking the questions to help them find the answers. You don't want to just say, okay, let's read this verse. Okay, now let's go to the next verse. Talk about what you just read. Okay? Discuss it. Make sure they understand it before you move on to the next verse. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and, you know, if you have a little illustration, this verse makes me think of, you know, and then share that little personal testimony or, or extra thought. Sometimes I will try to describe something and illustrate it um, to make it easier for them to understand. 
Um, one of the illustrations I often like to use when it comes to the Sabbath topic is showing that um, it's it, when it says the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, that it's a, being specific about which day of the week it is. It doesn't say one out of seven or pick it what day. It says the seventh day is. So, and this is the one that God blessed and sanctified and made holy. So think, um, let me just give you a little quick illustration of that. Imagine I had seven cups. What's your favorite juice? Apple. Apple juice, okay. So imagine you have seven cups and these first six cups just have water, but the seventh cup has cold apple juice in it. If you could pick any cup, which one would you pick? You'd pick that cup with the apple juice in it, right? So. Sometimes people look at the days of the week and they say, oh, it doesn't matter. I could pick any day of the week as Sabbath. But God has put a special blessing only in the seventh day. That's the one he made holy. Now, you could rest on any day of the week. You know, Monday may be your day off work. But you're not going to get that blessing that God put in the seventh day for you. And that's the day he wants you to experience, that blessing that he put specially in that day. Okay, just a little illustration, but it's kind of helping them understand a verse we just read. So you might come up with your own little illustrations, but those are good for people who are more visual. So that's kind of engaging your student as you go along. Now, another important thing. Point nine says summarize. So as we're going, I'm trying to summarize some of the key themes before we move on to a new point. So, for example, I'm going to, looking here again at this lesson on the second coming. Um, this lesson is covering several different topics. It talks about how the coming of Jesus is not quiet. It's very noisy, okay? And it gives like three scriptures to look up. So after we look up those scriptures, um, I might say, so just in summary, when Jesus' coming is not going to be a silent event. This is going to be something that everyone is going to hear see, experience, um, it's not going to be some secret event, okay? And then I'm moving on to the next point, um, which is dealing with the, the resurrection, it looks like here. Um, so I'm pulling out some of those key points, but I'm summarizing some things before I move on to the next cluster of topics. Because a lot of lessons, think for example, a lesson on baptism. Your verses are probably going to be in clusters. A couple verses on why baptism is important, okay? Then you can have a cluster of verses that are going to be on what method of baptism is biblical, right? And then you're going to have a couple clusters of verses that is on how do you prepare for baptism, right? So your Bible study is kind of already set up in these like little clusters of thoughts. So as you finish one cluster, just summarize that cluster before you move on to the next set of cluster, okay? And then when you get to the very end, you're asking a question that's called a clear and set question. So is it clear from our Bible study today that baptism, the biblical form of baptism, is by immersion, not by sprinkling or pouring, but in the Bible, people were baptized by immersion. Is that clear to you? Okay, now I'm going to ask that question before I'm going to an appeal if they, to make a decision for baptism. I, if, and we're going to learn about this tomorrow in Gaining Decisions. If they don't understand the information, they are not ready to make a decision about the information. Okay? So you have to make sure that they understand it. And if you're along the way asking those summary, um, making those summary points and making sure they understand before you move to the next cluster of verses, 
you don't come to the very end and they didn't get the whole thing. <laughs> so it helps you as you go along. Any questions about that? Okay, now let's talk about um, making appeals. Never end a Bible study without making an appeal. This is simply asking them to make a commitment based on the study. It can be very short and simple. Try to make your appeal practical. So here's an example of a poor appeal and a good appeal. A poor appeal would be, are you thankful Jesus is coming again? Well, that's not really appeal actually at all, is it? <laughs> it's more of a, a, a statement. But an appeal would be more like, do you want to be ready when Jesus comes again? And do you want to make a commitment to spend more time with him so that you'll have a deeper relationship with him so you will be ready? So always think ahead of time, what is the decision I'm going to ask for at the end of this Bible study? And then in your prayer, you want to incorporate that decision they have made into it. So... On the next page, it has a couple examples here. Um, let me just pick the second one. Jesus, we have seen in our study that there is a great controversy between Christ and Satan since the very beginning, and Tom and I are choosing to be on your side in this battle. Give us wisdom to daily choose your ways. So you take their appeal and you include that in your prayer, and you add, include yourself in there too because it's a decision we're all making. Okay, um... Avoiding some common mistakes. I'm not going to take time to read through every single one of these. You have um, the list of them there. But let me just mention maybe a couple of them. Probably one of the biggest mistakes you could make in giving Bible studies is trying to give too much information too quickly. Okay? Remember that there's a reason the lessons are spread out over so many, and there's a reason why they're in a certain order. Okay? Now, they may have a lot of questions. They may ask you, so what's the mark of the beast? Can we study that? Unless they have a lot of background information, don't jump right into that Bible study because they don't have the foundation yet for it. Okay? So don't get ahead of yourself. Pace yourself. Don't, and remember that little is better than much. We should be able to explain all our beliefs in just a few verses. Now, praise the Lord, there's lots of verses for every topic, right? You could go and probably find 30, 40 verses, but don't make a Bible study out of that many verses. You don't need that. That's extra information if necessary. But be able to give just a few verses to answer each question, okay? Um, and don't get into really controversial stuff too quickly. Couple other things. Um, some people, what about food? What if they ask, you know, want to feed me? Um, I try not to avoid um, having them feed me. It, it, it prevents, you know, getting into some dietary things a little too quickly. Um, sometimes they're so focused on making sure they have food for you that it becomes a burden. And so I always like tell them, you know, I, I ate before I came over, or, you know, water would just be fine. Um, try to avoid. Um, this whole eating, socializing thing. It just works better that way. Um, the, a lot of these mistakes um, I you can find in Winsome Witnessing. I think there's a whole chapter in there on that. So if you get that book, you'll read more about them in there. Um, in this lesson, you'll find some information on dealing with some of the distractions that can come up in a Bible study, like the television or visitors popping in. 
And I also have some information here on answering questions and some difficult Bible passages that I think will be helpful for you. As we kind of get to the end here, let's just go down to page 9 and look at um, 12 characteristics of ripe fruit. Because this will lead well into tomorrow's class on decisions. How can you know if someone is a ripe fruit? Let's just look at these 12 things. One, they manifest an earnest interest in seeking to find truth. They accept Bible studies and they complete Bible lessons. If, if they're not filling out their lessons and doing their lessons, this is one of those mistakes where you could be spending maybe time with a person who's really not that into it, not really that interested in it. So if you find they're not really filling out their lessons, they're not taking time to do it, they cancel all the time, and they just not acting like they're really committed to this, I would ask them and say, so is this something you really want to continue doing? Um, do you like these lessons? Do you want me to find a different set of lessons? Maybe they just are bored with these lessons. Um, is this something you really have an interest in? Is, is this a good time? And try to assess what is the problem. And if it's just they're busy and they just need, well, would it help if we actually sat down and did the lessons together? You know, if they're not filling them out when you're leaving them with them. You know, try to help them find a solution to it. If they're really not that interested, say, well, maybe another time you might have more interest in this. We could resume um, Bible studies then. You don't want to tie up all your time with people who aren't ripe and aren't ready, okay? Because there are people who are ripe out there. People who are lonely, unhappy, or dissatisfied. People who are attending church regularly. We talked about these yesterday as really good potentials. Uh, people who are speaking favorably of your church and its services. People who are accepting doctrines, making decisions, they're displaying conviction. They don't really like their church anymore. They don't belong to a church. They've made lifestyle changes as they're learning truth. They want to share what they're learning with others. And children and teens who are showing conversion. These are all people who are really good interests. And if there are people in your church like this or that you know that you haven't asked if they like to do Bible studies, I would start with those because these are... Whoa. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's a little scary there. <laughs> I've included um, a little chart at the back. Um, this Before I started using Disciples Interest Tracking Program um, to track my interests, I used just a paper interest sheet like this. So I thought this might be helpful for you just to keep track of when you go to your Bible study, what you gave them and what you studied, just so you don't forget. Because it's going to be easy to forget where you're at in the process. And um, just a little um, sheet there to keep you organized. Yes. Um, I'm involved with Harris Town Ministries the Home and Shelter. Mm -hmm. And I was, I had already asked Miss Cindy about having a Bible study with some of the ladies in the shelter. Should I do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> I, absolutely. I, I would always ask, oh, the worst thing that could happen is someone to say no, right? But um, you'd be surprised how many anybody will say yes. So if you have any other questions related to giving Bible studies, um, feel free to write those down and give those to me. I'll see if I can answer. If I don't have a chance to answer them in here in class, I'll make sure I email you or whatever, help you. Because I want you to be successful if you run into any particular um, challenges. Tomorrow, um, our class is only focused on gaining decisions and helping people work through some of those objections and stuff. 
And uh, we're going to do a little role playing tomorrow too, so that will be fun. So let's pray as we close. Dear God, thank you, Lord, for our study time today. I just ask that you would give each person here um, the skills they need to give a personal Bible study, Lord. I know you have great blessings in store for them. I pray that these materials that we have talked about today will be helpful for them and that you would give them a soul in your kingdom, Lord, because of this class. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.